from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Making a delicious dish that's about more than food. I'm Charles Denny. Chopped cooking, great food, and lessons about possible future careers for some lucky Tennessee 4-H'ers. That story from the Tennessee State Fair, coming up on Ag Day. From chopped to chop, how one Penn State standout landed a deal with Pennsylvania pork producers as a tale of two crops emerges in South Dakota. That July heat, uh, it was tough on it. We check in on the harvest in that state and across the country right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the name on the cap matches the power of one's purpose. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clint Griffiths. Despite recent rains, harvest is still running ahead of schedule. USDA keeping us updated on the latest crop progress report. It shows that 45% of the corn is now harvested. That's 3% ahead of the five-year average. As for soybeans, a big jump, now 62% harvested, and that's way ahead of the five-year average by 10%. And again, that progress came even amid mid to late week rainfall across some of the soybean production areas especially the northern and eastern part of the Midwest. Now, with that, uh, the harvest progress is at least 20 percentage points ahead of the five-year average pace in three states, Arkansas, Iowa, and Kansas. Furthest ahead on that list of three is Iowa. 74% of the soybeans harvested by the 15th of October five-year average is just 54 percent. And winter wheat planting is moving ahead. USDA says 68 percent of that crop is now in the ground. That's up 11 percent from last week and right on par with that five-year average. All states have reached double digits on planting progress except for North Carolina where nine percent of the crop's been planted. That's pretty close to the five-year average of 10 percent. Meanwhile, we'll be seeing the winter wheat planting wrapping up in the coming days in places like Nebraska, 96% planted, as well as Colorado at 94%. Winter wheat emergence reaching 39% by October 15th, slightly behind the five-year average of 43%, but ahead of last year's 36%. The I-80 Harvest Tour on Ag Day is brought to you by Case IH. The Farm All has been the iconic partner on the farm for generations. Come celebrate a century of Farm All, the one for all, at farmall100.com. And by AGI. At AGI, we spend a lot of time focused on our product details, making sure you can store your grain how you need to and move it when you need to. Learn more at aggrowth.com. Farmers in South Dakota made good progress on harvest last week despite the rain. Corn harvest is now 37% done, four points ahead of normal, with 72% of the soybeans now harvested, 13% ahead of average. Lingering drought in the state has produced some mixed harvest results, as Michelle Rook found out in this week's I-80 Harvest Tour. It's a tale of two crops here in South Dakota with corn yields exceeding expectations, while soybeans missed those late season rains and have been overall disappointing. The Scotts farm just east of Sioux Falls where they were hit by heat and drought, including in August when soybean yields are set. The drought has not really affected us much and uh, this year we got hit and uh, uh, it's a lot drier than uh, we've been used to and so yeah, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in what we have. The summer was, was pretty hot, pretty windy and um, 
uh, you can see it in the in the yield monitor. Insect and disease pressure was also a problem. But we had some pests come in late, um, some gall midge on our edges, uh, I think some spider mites out in the field. And so they're harvesting soybeans that are below their farm average and well below 2022. Last year we had record yields, the weather was just perfect for our area. We were in the 70s and, and so far we're in the 50s, so it's, it's about 20 bushel difference. Despite the Scots harvest results, USDA has statewide soybean yields at 43 bushels per acre, which is five bushels above last year, with drought not as widespread. The south and west was really dry last year, and uh, so, you know, they might be accurate on that. You know, they yes, we probably have more than last year. In contrast, corn yields in much of South Dakota have been better than expected, especially with the limited moisture. Chad Schooley says precipitation was below normal for the season on his farm. Our rainfall, we were probably short five to, five to eight inches from average, so that, that definitely hurt us. Plus, he says the heat also trimmed top-end yield potential. A lot of short ears in uh, where we're going probably the first part of the week. I'm going to run into a couple fields that have some really bad tip back. That July heat, uh, it was tough on it. However, the quality of the corn is excellent and his overall corn yields are still running very close to his farm averages. Either side of 200 is going to catch a lot. I, I, I hope to be able to put a two in front of the average, but a lot of acres to go over yet to get there. Schooley attributes that performance to the timing of the rain and the drought tolerance of today's corn hybrids. The genetics that we got going must be amazing because back when I started farming with that much rain, we wouldn't have much of a crop. USDA is pegging corn yields in South Dakota at 147 bushels per acre, which is 15 bushels above last year's statewide average. And from early harvest results, that seems achievable. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. Snow in the Smokies. Joshua Griffith captured these snowy scenes along the Blue Ridge Parkway in North Carolina. Now, this is the first snowfall of the season in that area, and it happened in areas mainly above 5,000 feet. The mountains seeing up to an inch of snow. The snow comes as the trees reach peak fall foliage, leaving some to call this even snowledge. Or would it be snowleage? Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us. Matt, those below normal temperatures that have been felt across the central and eastern U.S. will start to warm up. Yeah, and that's kind of what you'd come to expect with the fall pattern. That jet stream is starting uh, to react to what's going on with the, uh, the sun angle across the globe where the jet stream is going to dip. It's also going to ridge and everything ends up reversing as it moves from the west to the east regarding the jet stream. So where it was cold a uh, week before, it is expected to be warmer and also drier. October 22nd uh, through the 26th, you got a ridge that is developing over two thirds of the United States. Unlike what we see in summer, a lot of this has a four to five day period, meaning this is gonna last about four to five days uh, before it moves off and another trough moves in. So looking towards the end of October, early November, a pocket of cold, cool air uh, should be settling in and across the United States as we again get into the beginning of November. And we don't want to forget the cotton harvest is also underway right now. Jenna sending this picture in beautiful cotton that looks ready to pick. Now Jenna taking this picture near Hickory Ridge, Arkansas, wishing everyone a happy harvest season. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. Now one of the world's largest ag companies announcing a new system for seeding rice 
and it stands to revolutionize the industry. Bayer says it's introducing direct seeded rice. Now it made the announcement in Manila at the International Rice Congress. The system moves away from a traditional transplant system to direct seeded rice, helping reduce water use by 40% and cutting labor costs in half. Now currently 80% of rice farmers grow seedlings in nurseries and then transplant them into flooded paddy fields. That water level has to remain constant in order to get plants established. The water is then drained ahead of harvest. This new rice can be planted into dry soil and use traditional farm equipment. Rice is the world's third largest crop and sustains more than half of the global population. And there's a new hottest pepper. It's called Pepper X. Ed Curie of South Carolina earning the Guinness World Record title for hottest chili pepper in the world. It took Ed 10 years to grow the pepper in his greenhouses. Now it's reported Pepper X registers an average of nearly 2.7 million Scoville heat units in lab tests at Winthrop University in Rock Hill. In comparison, the previous hottest chili pepper, the Carolina Reaper, registered an average of 1.6 million Scoville heat units. Ed also grew the Carolina Reaper. Now, by the way, the average jalapeno can reach between just three and 8,000 Scoville heat units. The public presentation of the world record will take place at the Tennessee Hot Sauce Expo in Nashville next month. November soybeans climbed back above $13 during Tuesday's trade. So is the harvest low in? We'll ask that question coming up next. And later, meet the 4-H kids in Tennessee cooking the competition, a real-life chopped with awards and prizes at stake in the country. Soybeans scored a reversal last week, so is a harvest low in? And can the market continue to build on it? Magday's Michelle Rook puts those questions to Darren Newsom in Markets Now. Welcome to Markets Now. I'm Michelle Rook with Darren Newsom with Bar Chart. And Let's talk about soybeans. We've had kind of a reversal there on the charts and, you know, can we keep it going and what's been driving it? Yeah, from a technical point of view, and again, setting fundamentals aside for the time being, if we just look at the weekly charts for the various contracts, no, Jan, March, May, wherever you want to go, uh, what we see last week was an impressive, what, I, what, what what's called a, a key reversal. This is one of the more, more uh, reliable reversal patterns that I look for, particularly on weekly charts. It's where you took out the previous low, took out the previous high, closed higher for the week. Uh, and, and again, we saw this across the board, mostly due to last Thursday's activity. So what this could do, uh, theoretically, what it could do is bring some investment money back in. Uh, again, uh, I'm old. I look at charts. Algorithms are relatively young. They don't look at charts. They look at other things. Uh, but you know, there, there's still the possibility this could generate some, some investment interest. Uh, I think it's still going to come down to fundamentals. And you know, for the most part, soybean fundamentals are, are neutral at best. So, Darren, where do you think we need to be priced to be fairly priced with a 220 million bushel carryout? The 220 million bushel carryout, basically just a guess at this point. We really don't know what it's going to be. Uh, again, the spreads and basis are all running neutral right now. So it's it's not saying that you know, we have a burdensome situation for supplies uh, in relation to demand. But on the other hand, it's also not tight. Yeah. Are you willing to say the harvest low is in and, you know, what will it take in terms of fundamentals to keep the momentum going? I think it's, you know, again, based purely on technicals and the weekly chart, I'd say the, I'd say the harvest low is in. Uh, I mean, that that's one, again, that's one of the more reliable reversal patterns we see. 
Uh, I do not have a bullish reversal on the long-term monthly chart yet, but that could happen by the end of this month. Uh, what's it going to take? We're going to have to see an increase in demand. It's, you know, that's really all it is. Uh, and so to do that, you know, naturally being a weather derivative, the biggest assist would come from you know, some weather problems in Brazil. Because other than that, you know, if Brazil has another crop, the U.S. is going to fall off the face of the earth again when it comes to exports uh, to the world's largest buyers. Uh, so we really need to see that happen. Other than that, uh, there's just not going to be much change. Yeah, and so far they've had some weather issues, but nothing catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Think, yeah. Thanks for joining us, Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Bar Chart. That's Markets. Now we'll have more Ag Day coming up. To get in touch with Darren, send him an email at analysis at darrennewsome.com or give him a call at 402-669-0210. Ag Day is brought to you by the Advanced Acre RX program from Winfield United. To hear directly from farmers how Advanced Acre RX helps you get the most out of your season, visit winfieldunited.com AARX. Yeah, I'll start off taking a look at the temperatures this afternoon. Well, we saw earlier that next week we're expecting two-thirds of the United States to be under the influence of a ridge of high pressure. Until then, pocket of cool, if not cold air uh, in and across the Midwest, but also sinking into the Northeast as well. Tomorrow morning, got more of the 50s, the upper 40s, but staying away from the 30s across a good portion of the nation and that's coming up for tomorrow morning by tomorrow afternoon we'll see more of those 70s push back into the north into the northeast with another cold front or a weak low pressure system moving in and across the midwest where we're going to heat up is right behind me 103 in phoenix 76 salt lake city uh, pretty impressive when you start to see the 70s and near 70 degree readings back in the Pacific Northwest at this time of year. Again, there's a look at the temperatures tomorrow afternoon. The overall jet stream shows you that pattern that we just looked at. Now, where you have a ridge, you got warmer than average temperatures. We have that trough, cooler than average temperatures. And then in the next five to six days, everything will flip. You see the trough, this is Friday into Saturday. Now this weekend, that trough digging in and across the Midwest, bringing cloudy, cool, rainy conditions to the Northeast. There's the ridge starting to take shape on Sunday. So what that means uh, for the Dakotas, uh, also into Oklahoma and Texas, expect that ridge to really be firmly in place by Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. And then we start to get more of a high amplitude ridge with the trough back down here uh, over towards the west. So that's where the cooler air is going to be. And that's why we're expecting a decent warm up well above average high temperatures back over parts of the Midwest, the plains. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week. Let's start things off in Colorado. Holyoke, oh, mostly sunny, 72 degrees, low of 46. What about Massachusetts? Holyoke, oh, morning clouds, the evening sunshine, high around 64 degrees. Minnesota? Holyoke, oh, partly cloudy, high of 52. One of the nation's largest hog farms is expanding. We have details next. And later, Sizzle and Sear, these 4-H kids in Tennessee, are cooking their way to the top of the class in the country. Seaboard Foods has plans to build two new hog farms. The company receiving approval from commissioners in Ford County, Kansas for the project. The farms would be located east of Buckland. 
Seaboard says there will be two barns housing about 2,500 gilts that will weigh between 45 and 300 pounds. It says no outdoor manure treatment will be built. Instead, eight foot deep concrete pits will be dug under the barn's floors. The manure will then be used as fertilizer on ag lands. It's reported each farm will use about 15 acre feet of water per year and about 16 trucks per month will travel to those farms to move animals and deliver feed. We showed you a couple of weeks ago the Iowa Pork Producers Association using some college football players to promote pork, thanks to some great last names. Now the Pennsylvania Pork Producers Council is giving it a try with a great first name. They're teaming up with Chop Robinson to promote what else but pork chops and all things pork. He's a standout defensive end for the Penn State Nittany Lions. Chop short for pork chop was born weighing over 14 pounds and he says his parents started calling him pork chop early on and it just stuck he's now a 6'3 255 pound athlete pennsylvania pork says its partnership with chop allows for fun engaging ways to keep pork front of mind now chop is a second team all-american and has his sights set on the nfl speaking of chops up next 4-hers have their very own version of chopped a cooking competition for kids in Tennessee in the country. Got equipment to sell privately but tired of scams and hassles? Visit MachineryPeat.com and click Sell Mine. MachineryPeat.com, the simple and secure way to buy and sell equipment online. Cooking skills and career possibilities are valuable things Tennessee 4-H'ers can learn in competitions. And as Charles Denny of the University of Tennessee reports, some of the most talented 4-H'ers in the state recently took part in a chopped cooking challenge with a trip to a national event on the line. Chopping with a purpose. Dishes that come to life with glistening blades and even sharper creativity. These 4-H youngsters are in a chopped cooking event held at the Tennessee State Wilson County Fair. The fair theme was corn, and that was a required ingredient for each team. We are making Mexican street corn with enchiladas and fruit dip. Sounds pretty good. It is. Three counties competed, each making a Tex-Mex entree with lots of tasty sides and fresh vegetables and produce. But these are not just four teen cooks working at the same table. The goal is unity and then a delicious dish. Part of it too is we're grading them on communication and teamwork, so how to really work with the team um, and that they're learning how to also communicate with their team members since they only have 90 minutes to prepare an appetizer uh, meal in an entree. The team that comes out on top here will travel to a national chopped competition at the Texas State Fair in 2024 but it's a learning experience for all these kids, including several who have career aspirations as foodies or chefs. Jaden Graves is already accomplished in the kitchen, but still looking to boost her skills with this contest. I actually do. So like I said, I began, I started in food science. It was like my passion to cook. I worked in a restaurant for about three years. So starting off early working in a restaurant, I always had a dream to cook. It was just something I enjoyed doing for fun. The kids heard cooking and career advice from Chef Julio Hernandez, who owns a Nashville restaurant and served here as a judge. 4-H leaders want these youngsters to meet potential mentors. They can learn about what it goes into being a chef so that hopefully they will continue to want to follow down that career path. 
When the chopping stopped and the baking was done, it was time for the judges to have a taste, and they were impressed. Good things happen when you introduce a young person to the world of food. They'll all cook someday and may even consider doing it for a living. This is Charles Denny reporting. Good stuff. All right, thanks, Charles. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Ag Day. I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.